Welcome to the Trend Detection Podcast, powered by Sensei, an industry leader in using AI to drive scalable and sustainable asset performance and reliability. For this three-part series, I'm joined by Joe Carr from Exora, a B2B digital solutions marketplace and community for industrial innovators, to discuss what manufacturers can learn from the metals and mining industry. In the first episode of this series, we discuss the key challenges facing the metals and mining industry, how COVID and Brexit has made an impact, and the benefits of remote operation centers. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so welcome to this episode of the Trend Detection Podcast. Usually we're talking to manufacturers and getting insights from that side. But today I'm really pleased that we're going to actually look at a different industry, say metals and mining, which is certainly an interest from Sensei's side. We have a lot of um, customers in that area. So I'd like to welcome Joe Carr from Axora. How are you doing today, Joe? Yeah, very well. Thank you. For the audience, my name is Joe Carr. I'm the uh, Industry Innovation Director for Mining at Exora. But uh, to shorten that, you know, I'm, I'm a mining engineer. So the mining world is where I've spent my, my whole career. And from building mines to consulting on mines to, to working on sort of everything in and around mines and underground and open pit. Great. Could you give a, just a little bit of background about who Exora are and what they do? Yeah, so Exora is, uh, in essence, it's a it's an innovation company, and we have a digital marketplace that's focused on the energy sectors and metals and mining. So what we do is we we hunt down the latest, most innovative products. We vet those products, and then we take them out to the mining industry and to the energy industry, and we say, you know, here are here are solutions to solve some of your cutting edges and cutting problems. And for instance, Sensei is one of those solutions that we take to our mining customers and we say, here is a solution for helping you, you know, do your maintenance in your smelter or your refining operation or wherever, you know, you can do it better using AI and machine learning techniques. Fantastic. Yeah, that's definitely remit. So what I wanted to first of all, and it's quite a wide ranging question, really, well, very open questions, good one to start with. So, so what are the main challenges that are currently faced in the metals and mining industry yeah it's an interesting one because the mining industry is a it's a bit of an odd space it's not you know like oil and gas when people tend to lump mining into a, a space right similar to oil and gas but actually mining is many commodities you know it's not simply copper or coal or gold it has a big range of commodities and so they each have their individual challenges right for instance coal today is not a particularly investable space. And yet coal is at one of its highest prices of all time. You know, we have a a range of challenges that range from things like corporate social responsibility around things like coal to production of critical minerals that go into the most important supply chains in the world, right? When you hold up your phone, you don't think about the fact there's probably 20 to 50 separate minerals that have been mined that have gone into that phone, right? And if we don't mine it, we grow it. So you look around you, if it wasn't grown out the earth, it was probably mined out the earth. Um, And currently, I guess there there are a few challenges. Obviously, the global supply chain is somewhat of a challenge, although it's actually helped the mining industry quite a lot. Prices are very good. We have constant issues around skills. It's a very difficult industry, ironically, to resource. So we've had a skills shortage for as long as I've been in the industry. I mean, it's, it's a perennial problem. And we have all the other problems you would associate with a, a very, very large industrial 
kind of business, right? In that it's a, it's a slow moving industry, potentially. It has lots of big players and then and a massive tail of smaller players. And it can be a, a difficult industry to work in, in that it's very global. So you have lots of operations all over the world. It's existed for a very long time. So we're finding that the easy stuff, with, you know, in brackets, easy, um, has been found. And we're now moving to some more difficult jurisdictions to operate where we have concerns about things like resource nationalism and and, how do we mine responsibly in a modern world, right? A hundred years ago, people weren't concerned necessarily about the way they did mining, whereas today, how we support local communities and the impact of mining on those communities and the environment is taken incredibly seriously. So there's lots to talk about in the mining industry and what it's up to. Yeah, no, it sounds it. I mean, there's there's one one thing that jumped out at me straight away because we had a, recently had a conversation with Make UK, who sort of represent manufacturers in the UK, and they one of the big hot topics this year is around skills and attracting people to manufacturing. But it sounds like that's very much the case in in metals and mining as well. I know particularly they're looking to get more more women into into manufacturing roles. Is that an issue in metals and mining as well, more specifically? I think it's more of an issue of the past, but it's also very location dependent. So, for instance, if you look at jurisdictions like Australia, actually women in the workforce, although they are are less prevalent than men, it is far more common. And it also has to do with, you know, A, the type of business. It doesn't necessarily attract women into the workforce and the way the industry is structured. So, for instance, I used to work on a mine in Saudi You wouldn't get a job there as a woman anyway. Just pointing that out. The job was four weeks on and two weeks off. And so you'd fly there for four weeks and you fly home for two. And so a lot of the the way the mining industry is structured with the nature of, you know, mines don't tend to be right next to a city where everybody lives. They tend to be very remote. And that has an impact on people and family life. I don't work fly and fly out operations anymore because I've got two small children. And so you have to think about the way the industry is structured. And that's something actually where technology is having a major impact because now we're getting to the point in the world where we're using more remote operation centers. And for instance, if you go to a big company and one of their remote operation centers will be placed in the middle of a city, and yet you'll be using that remote operation center to drive trucks a thousand miles away. And so suddenly you don't have to fly in and out your workforce, right? Your workforce can actually live and work in a city, which is far more conducive to having a a better gendered workforce, but also a more diverse workforce in terms of people are available to do things that wouldn't necessarily be be able to do things. There is a, a sort of counter side to that, though, that many small communities in and around mines rely on those mines for jobs. And so by taking the jobs back to a city, there is the potential impact that actually you're taking valuable money and diversity and skills and and workforce, which would be remote in a town that is near a mine, and you're actually taking them away. So there there is a double-edged sword to, for instance, tele-remote operations on mining mindsets. What sort of roles would be based in a sort of remote operation centre even? <laughs> yeah, I mean, planning, operations, drilling, trucks, trains. I mean, a, a lot of the bums in seats type things can be done remotely, right? You still have maintenance and you still have people like explosives guys who have to go and put the explosives in the hole and, and that sort of thing. So it's not that nobody 
will work on a mine, you will probably always have somebody in and around a mine. It's just that, for instance, by going tele-remote, the mine saves a lot of cost because we're not putting people on planes, we're not flying them places, we're not putting them up in accommodation and feeding them and, and all of those kind of things and having roster bonuses and we don't have the employee turnover. There's a very high turnover when you're working remotely, right? Because people only sustain it for so long. So there are a lot of benefits to the mining company and there are a lot of benefits to the individual that they can go home at the end of the day and see their family, right? And pick their kids up from school. And they can do that on an incredibly flexible basis. Whereas if you're on a mine, you work a 12 hour shift. If you're in a tele-remote operation center, there's no reason why I couldn't work for two hours. And then somebody else just sits in the seat and drives the same 10 trucks that I've just been driving with zero shift change or handover or anything like that. I think that's interesting. So like if we just consider an office environment or an office job like such as myself, not a home office or in the office, I'm not, you know, it's not office job in the traditional sense, but it's actually, you know, I guess it gives more flexibility for a start so people did want to work in the mine themselves like they could do that but then they could also work from these remote operation centers as well so and i guess that is a part of attracting people to roles is they've got the flexibility to work how they want to yeah definitely diversity is an interesting piece right not everyone wants to sit on a plane and no. fly out and, and go and work somewhere in the middle of nowhere in fact judging by the skill shortage you say quite a lot of people don't because the mining industry is a very good paying industry. It's a very attractive industry in terms of compensation to work in. And yet, you know, it, it struggles. It has struggled historically and it continues to do so because when you're 18 and you're choosing your university, do you want to go study mining or do you want to go study, you know, computer science or AI or something and get a job at Google or some machine learning startup in London, right? What's the more exciting, more attractive option? And yeah, a lot of people look at the mining industry and they say, oh, that's, you know, that's that's an irrelevant industry. You, you get that viewpoint, but people don't realize how many things around them are built on critical minerals, right? The, the green energy transition, the amount of copper, for instance, just an electric car, an electric car uses four times more copper than a conventional car. No, and yet we want to ban conventional internal combustion engines by 2030 in the UK, I think, or 2035 for hybrids. So where, where are we going to get all the copper to, to build all these cars? A wind turbine, the average size wind turbine uses like six tonnes of copper just in the wind turbine construction, let alone the wiring and substations and transmission cables and all that kind of thing. Like the rare earth elements that go into solar panels, this all has to be mined from somewhere. The mining industry is more critical than ever, because if we want a green energy transition, we're going to have to get the minerals from somewhere. Yeah, no, exactly. I think a lot of people, probably myself included, do underestimate exactly how much is mined and where it's used. Like you gave the example early on about in the mobile phone. I mean, does anyone really think about what's actually in, what creates a mobile phone? You know, not just the, the surface stuff, but actually powering it as well. So that's, even on that level, that's quite mind-blowing. I still get people, you know, I tell them I'm in the mining industry and my more often than not, the response is, oh, cool, Bitcoin. <laughs> that, 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 you know, that, that is a, it's not even a surprising response to me anymore. I expect people to talk about Bitcoin and Ethereum before they talk about gold or copper or something else. Yeah, I think manufacturers probably have, have a similar thing. Well, I think... And if we talk about, you know, being employable, I think, you know, there's obstacles to overcome for metals and mining companies, but it's about changing the perception of it, I guess, because not many people would think about these remote operation centers and, and this kind of thing. They just think metals and mining. They probably think you'd be down a mine at the minute. 
<laughs> that'd be your your role. There's no way you could you could work remotely. So I guess like manufacturers, it's about really educating people into you know it's it's a lot more than that, and there's a lot more you can do than I mean it's great being down the mountain doing that side of things, but also there's just so much more opportunity, especially on the digital side, which we'll obviously come to in our conversation too. I just wanted to touch on, and I've it pretty much is in every podcast I ever do, it seems at the minute, but I've got to ask about the impact of Brexit and COVID. Maybe that's two separate questions, but I know, especially in manufacturing, it those tend to overlap together very much. So, but it, what's your sort of view on that, Joe? Yeah, I mean, Brexit utterly irrelevant to the mining industry. I cannot think of anything that would have come out of us leaving the EU that may potentially... In fact, I can only probably think of positives to come out of it. Because because the way the trade deal was structured with the EU means that the UK has to build its own battery infrastructure. And by building our own battery infrastructure and gigafactories, we now need to source elements for those which is for things like lithium, right? So there's actually two lithium miners in Cornwall who are busy at the moment trying to build lithium mines down there. One is a hard rock mine and one is a a salt, a brine salt that extracts lithium from them. And they will basically supply between them, you know, they all their production of lithium will go to those battery factories. In fact, they, they won't be able to produce enough to fulfill those battery factory orders. In one sense, it can't be in any way construed to have had any particular negative for Brexit because we're an international industry. And actually, the UK as a whole does very little mining. Historically, it was a huge mining, huge mining centre. And funnily, you know, I've spoken to many people across the years and they said, if Cornwall was in Canada or Australia, it would be full of mines. It's funny that because it's in the UK, we seem to have just forgotten that we have this mining history. And we've forgotten that there's actually an incredibly rich area of metals in our country and when someone tries to build a mine nobody wants them to build a mine yeah i was about to say so is that the reason is that obviously it's a protective and loved area of cornwall isn't it you know by is that the simple answer is that people just don't want mines i think it's just a time thing that in the 60s through to the 90s a lot of those mines closed because there was a depressed metals price and they couldn't compete in a global market and once a mine shuts reopening it becomes far more difficult. And they are reopening mines down in Cornwall and, and people do want them. And, and there's a gold mine that's just been built in Scotland that's producing. And Anglo-American is building a potash mine in Yorkshire, the world's biggest potash project at the moment. So it's not like we don't have a mining industry here, but certainly, you know, it's not as big as potentially it should be. And it's ironic that a lot of the mining projects being built here are initially anyway, having started from foreign nationals coming here and understanding the value of what we have, whereas UK companies have have ignored it. There's a mine down in Cornwall, Strongbow Minerals. They're an Australian company or initially an Australian company who came here and said, yeah, this is an amazing property and it's been sat under our feet for you know forever and, and nobody in the UK saw to invest in that. And I think it's probably, you know, it's just a mindset thing. Given now we, we have left the EU, suddenly there's a question of what minerals do we have and how does that fit into our own supply chain and supply chain security and COVID, so to come on to your second point, has really highlighted supply chain you know, constraints, right? The fact that China controls 98% of the rare earth trade in the world, people have kind of slept walked into that. And now all of a sudden we've realized that, you know, having 
one country control 98% of the critical minerals that are needed to build a phone, for instance, may not be the best thing for national security when you're trying to build supercomputers or you know, even something as, as basic as a missile if you're a military and you can't get it to work because you can't buy any rare earth minerals because China won't sell them to you. So, you know, we see that with projects going on within the EU and in the US and, and Australia and other countries where they've said, actually, we're, we're happy to build our own supply chain of critical minerals because we understand the problems that we may potentially have. Yeah. So, so that's a COVID related issue, you said? Yeah, the, the supply chain stuff is a COVID related issue and partly Brexit. So in the UK, we see that, you know, suddenly supply chain I, th- I think it wasn't an issue until covid came along and then suddenly everyone said ah actually supply chains are a real big issue sort of ppe right and vaccines sure that we didn't have our own supply chain and now we can see it with electric cars so suddenly people are like oh how do you build electric cars well you need all your battery metals where are all the batteries made they're all made in china so you know the in- industrial revolution 4.0 you know the battery is the new steam engine so where do you want your technology do you want your technology in another country or do you want it in your own country? And so all the minerals that go into those batteries, which is legion, it's just all minerals, we suddenly have to you know, think about where are we getting our cobalt from and where are we getting our nickel from and how, how secure is that supply? You know, If it's a Chinese company, well, it's essentially the Chinese state has that. And, and that's not necessarily an issue, but people who think about these kind of things think about worst case scenarios. Or they yep. think about, you know, how do I build that so that 50% of my vehicle is manufactured, you know, inside the EU and UK with that trade deal? Well, if I can't get my minerals to manufacture the battery and I have to get the battery made in China, how much of my vehicle is now has to be manufactured, you know, in the UK? And if, if the battery makes up 50%, I've now got a bigger problem. Right. Then the fact yeah. that I don't have the skills and expertise to make that. And um, that's an interesting thing that probably if you'd have talked to someone five years ago, it wouldn't have even come up. It just shows what a seismic, obviously both seismic events that have just shaken all areas of life, I guess. But yeah, that just shows with a supply chain that diverse in lots of different countries, just the, the problems of keeping that running must be, I mean, the forms you must have to fill in to start with sounds like pretty... <laughs> An enviable task, I'd say. Yeah, say so metals is a pretty global business. It's part goes part and parcel. Like generally, the the material is mined somewhere and smelted somewhere else. So we, we cross a lot of borders. But COVID is certainly, I guess, it's been interesting. The mining industry struggled at the beginning with COVID because everyone couldn't get anywhere. And I think very quickly the mining industry got a hand on it. And after I think sort of six months into the pandemic, nobody was really bothered about COVID. You know, it wasn't. We were running. In fact, many mines had the best years in 2021. 2021 was a fantastic year for minerals. Um, prices were very, very high. So, yeah, COVID has probably had a pretty negligible impact on the mining industry as well. It's it's a pretty resilient industry. It tends to shrug off a lot of problems because if people need the metal, they tend to find a way. Yeah, and I guess none of that really stops because of, yeah, I can imagine it, there's not a lot that would stop that. There'll still be demands despite the bumps in the road, let's call them, <laughs> such as that. And COVID is, is a bit turbocharged, right? Because everyone's come out with infrastructure spending. And what does infrastructure need? Metal. Yeah. So yeah, Joe Biden wants to spend one point something trillion dollars revitalizing American infrastructure, bridges and roads and railways. Well, 
where's he going to get all the steel <laughs> to make that right there's there's all your iron ore and all your substations and your your green energy revolution it's all minerals so covid has had a negative and possibly a positive impact on the mining industry yeah that's so interesting i mean actually that links that links quite well with my next question which was actually going to look at the wider sort of opportunities for metals and mining yeah and it sounds like because they're resilient they can sort of they're not recovering as much as such they're actually looking to build and go further but what areas do you see the biggest opportunities for metals and mining sort of companies yeah it's an interesting one in 2022 i feel like it's going to be more business as usual in the mining industry i certainly certainly believe and a lot of people believe that covid has been beneficial to the mining industry because suddenly the mining industry has had to do what it's put off for a long time in, in terms of the digital revolution, this approach of remote operation centers, for instance, and people not being able to fly to sites or having to work remotely using drones. 10 years ago, you would have never even, you know, that would have been very few mining companies. Now it's, you know, it's a good bulk of the industry is, is using that kind of systems. So I think the opportunities in the mining industry really are to change the way we work and adopt better technologies in 2022 and, and leverage the effects of COVID in turbocharging the business because it was interesting. I had a conversation with Michelle Ash on, on our podcast, actually, and we were talking about risk and the inherent... The, the mining industry is risk of us. We build a mine, we might spend $2 billion. We might spend $8 billion building a mine, right? So we spend a lot of money building mines because they, they're around for a long time. And we, we were talking about risk, you know, and it was a great example came up. It was the, the risk of using electric vehicles versus internal combustion engine. And the, the standard thinking would be that there's no risk for using internal combustion because I already use it. And moving to electric is risky because it's not you know, proven in a mining environment. And the conversation we had actually was very interesting in that the mining industry doesn't think about the risk of not moving to electric. So by not moving to electric vehicles, as an example, what isn't available to us that would be available if we did move? And for instance, a good example of that would be if I was in an underground mine, I spend roughly 50% of my power moving air around so that people can run internal combustion engines. Basically, I used to work on a mine where we had a 2.5 megawatt fan. And that was what pushed the air around the mine to get the diesel particulates out so people could breathe, right? But if you didn't have any diesel particulates because you had electric vehicles, what would be the impact, you know, financially on the mine design in terms of, well, I don't need all these ventilation raises and all these kind of things that I'm uh, infrastructure wise. So as an example, by getting rid of electric vehicles, even though you no longer have the technology which has been around for 100 years, suddenly I don't need to spend $50 million or $100 million on infrastructure that I would need to keep my diesel vehicles. And the mining industry today doesn't think in that terms. And I think that's going to be an interesting takeaway is how quickly can we move to new technology isn't a risk, the status quo is a risk. Yeah. So that was the first part of our series looking at what manufacturing can learn from the metals and mining industry. Hope you enjoyed it. It's interesting to hear Joe talk about the use of remote operating centers to enable a work from home anywhere mindset in the metals and mining industry. The big question is, 
can manufacturers implement a similar initiative to encourage more people into their industry? Please subscribe via your favorite podcast provider if you'd like to be notified about future episodes. And it would mean a lot if you could let us know your feedback by leaving us a review. You can find out more about how Sensei can reduce unplanned downtime and contribute towards improved sustainability within your manufacturing plants by visiting Sensei.io. Thanks a lot for listening. Thank you.